Hey, Talking Church, coming at you with a voice memo because I have been on the road traveling, been in Alaska, headed to Ramsey Solutions this week, so I didn't have time to record a brand new episode. But we are sharing this. It is a breakout session that I taught at River Valley Conference on leading up, how to be a young leader. Maybe you don't have experience. Maybe you're new into ministry. Maybe you're just young and you have not led people who are older than you, who are volunteers. And so I hope this impacts you and maybe you're listening and maybe you know all the things or you've learned all the lessons that I've learned, but you can share this with somebody who'd get an impact from it. I know I've learned so many lessons along the way and I hope that these lessons help impact you as well and people on your team. So enjoy this episode and we'll be back soon with some brand new episodes in the studio from Talking Church. Can you help me welcome Pastor Logan as he makes his way on up? First of all, Jamer, who introduced me, is a legend, and if you want to know how to be a young leader and lead up, uh, he he should teach this next year because he's amazing at it. So if you're looking for someone that is an amazing example of what that looks like, Jamer's an amazing example. Among so many of our team, we have amazing team members, and uh, I'm excited to to share in this session and get some Q&A, and I just made a new friend, uh, Elijah Lambs here, and uh, he... We've just been chatting, and he's like, yeah, I lead a lot of people that are older than me. I said, well, you got to get up here. And so he's going to join me for Q&A. So I'm excited for him to, to be here. And uh, how many of you know that it's hard, to, it's hard to, to balance honor and opportunity, right? Because, you know, this room, it's, it's a lot of young people, and we're not going to single anyone out. Obviously, it's not, the, the, it's not just age, right? It's, it's age its experience, and its position. So it, when, I th- when I'm talking about leading up, it's leading up when you're younger, leading up when you're in a, not in a position of authority, and leading up when you don't have the experience. So my first job here at River Valley, I oversaw our young adult ministry, which was called 20 plus, and I was 20. <laughs> and so people are joking as you laughed. You're not even old enough to be in this ministry, let alone lead this ministry. And I remember we did this session on relationships and my wife and I had been married for about a year. We're coming up on six years now. And, and uh, I remember, you, know, you field the questions. It's kind of like the confessions of a pastor video. And one of the questions said, why is Logan talking about relationships? He's only been married for one year. He has nothing to say about relationships. I'm like, oh, wow. Well, that's encouraging. And then people really hated my hair in the videos. And looking back, I hate my hair too. So I'm like, okay, that was good feedback, good feedback. <laughs> but we, we struggle with this tension between honor and obedience. We wanna honor our leaders, we wanna honor lead pastors, we wanna honor our district leaders, we wanna honor those who've gone before us who are older, but we have this zeal and this excitement and energy with new ideas. And we have opportunity, I wanna speak to more people, I wanna have a bigger youth ministry, I wanna have a bigger young adult ministry, I wanna have a strong kids ministry, I wanna be a good preacher, I wanna be good at leading meetings, I wanna have a lot of money, I wanna give a lot of money, I wanna be known for a lot of things. And we struggle with that, is how do I honor the people who've gone before me while acknowledging their victories and acknowledging what they've done that I wasn't able to do, but also step into this call that God has placed on my life. And maybe you're in this room, maybe you're an intern, you're a new staff member, you're new into ministry, maybe you worked in the marketplace for a long time and now you're new into ministry and you feel like, even though I'm older, I I don't know as much about ministry. 
And so hopefully today, it can be a little bit of a help. And I remember when I was getting my credentials, credentialed through the Assemblies of God, my wife and I were engaged at that point. And we, we uh, went to our, our kind of class or interview that you do, and there's these thing called presbyters, and they, they interview you and talk about this, you know, this calling that's on your life. I remember there's a guy's name was Greg, and we got in there, and he looked nice, but it was a little gruff. And my wife and I sit down, and he goes, uh, why, do you, why do you think you deserve to be in ministry? I said, well, I guess I, I'm graduating with a degree and I did all the classes and, and I uh, feel like it's, it's a calling on my life. And he goes, you don't deserve anything. <laughs> I clearly answered the question wrong. And I remember looking at my fiance, now wife at the time, and the look on her face, what did I get myself into? <laughs> I remember afterwards, she said, I, I, wow, that was interesting. He said, you don't deserve anything. Christ has done everything for us. You don't deserve to be in ministry. You get to serve him. You get to be a servant. And I agree, but I wish he would have done a different method, right? Could you have been a little kinder to me? But I think that's the starting point for this conversation is when you realize that our calling and our purpose and our vocation and being in ministry is we don't deserve it. We deserve death. We deserve hell. We deserve the consequences for our sin. And when you can acknowledge that in your own way, when you have the revelation, and I don't just mean that you grew up in church. I'm a PK. I know what it's like. I've been a part of this church for almost 27 years. I know what it's like to know about God. But when you really have that moment, maybe you've had it or maybe you haven't, but the moment where you realize, where you're broken down, where you're worked to tears, where you realize, I deserve death. For me, I had the privilege to go to Israel and I was in the Garden of Gethsemane where they believe it to be where it was. And I remember there's a song by River Valley Worship, it's called No Wonder. No wonder we call you savior. And I remember listening to that song with my headphones, walking around what they think to be is the Garden of Gethsemane right by the Mount of Olives. And I remember bawling my eyes out, realizing, having a true revelation that God, this right here, in this place or right around it, this is where you chose me. This is where you chose me. My sin, my pain, my hurt, my everything I've done wrong, all my sin, this is where you decided that for once and for all, you were gonna pay for our sins and in this very spot is where you chose me. And so I'd encourage you that if you wanna be in ministry for the long haul, to pray for that moment, to seek for that moment. It doesn't have to be going across the world, but if you've not had that moment where you realize, I don't deserve anything but death, you're never gonna be able to lead in the way that God wants you to lead. But Paul gives advice to this, and it's a famous verse, and we're gonna talk about this verse today for a few minutes, but it's 1 Timothy 4.12. And everyone knew I was gonna use this verse, and that's okay. If I didn't, you'd be like, why didn't you do that? It's like, hey, we're gonna talk about love. You know, it's 1 Corinthians 13, we're gonna read that. John 3, 16, talk about being a young leader. Of course, we're gonna talk about 1 Timothy 4, 12. We could probably recite it, but don't let anyone look down upon you because you're young, but set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. 
So in a few minutes, I wanna talk about five ways to overcome the age, experience, and position gap. And the first one is don't demand respect. You've not earned it. Now, the issue is, we talked about this even in the conversation with Nathan and Dr. Tennyson, is people feel like we deserve respect in, it's, it's a human right, right? We hear that all the time. Like, it's a human right. Everything's a right. Everything's a human right. I'm here to tell you that's not true. Respect is not a right. Now, I will say this. Respect is certainly better. It's better to respect everyone else. Just because you don't de deserve respect or don't demand respect doesn't mean you shouldn't give it. You see, that's often how scripture is. It's things that we don't deserve, but Jesus says, treat others how you want to be treated. So if you would ha want to have respect, then you certainly should respect your leaders, right? But you say, you need to respect me. But do you respect them? You need to respect the gift. I'm a great preacher. I'm a great communicator. I just struggle to stay on time. I'm, I'm great at having pastoral conversations as long as it's in one of three areas that I've studied. And it's not a knock on us, it's we just don't have the experience yet. Barclay said, the advice given to Timothy is the hardest of all to follow, yet it was the only possible advice. It was that he must silence the criticism by conduct. Plato was once falsely accused of dishonorable conduct. Well, he said, we must live in such a way that all men will see that that charge is false. Verbal defenses may not silence criticism. Conduct will. What then were, were the marks of Timothy's conduct? It was those things. Your voice, your, your response, your pushback to the criticism of other people is not gonna be solved by, by snapping back at them. It's not gonna be involved by a, a witty comment. It's not gonna, be, not gonna be changed through a dynamic speech. It's gonna be changed by your daily life and conduct. It's gonna be showing that the leaders that are around you, those who are older that maybe you lead or those who are older than you that lead you or those who are even younger than you, that, that you wish you had their position. Don't demand respect, but earn it through our conduct. And that's exactly what he's saying to Timothy. He's saying, God has placed you, he's called you. None of this is to discourage us. All of this is to encourage us that we have the opportunity through the way we live, through our daily life, to show the people around us that we're worthy of their respect, but not only are we worthy of their respect, we're worthy of the calling that God has placed on each and every one of us. Recognize that you don't have the experience and that's okay. I remember, as I shared earlier, the very first time I was credentialed, I went up to receive the offering. I forgot to do the offering. I was so excited to introduce this speaker. I was, I was so scared, forgot to do it. It was my first time. There were 700 people in the room. Nice. Would've been easy if I would've failed in front of 12. The very next event that I did, everything went so horribly wrong in production, and then the venue that we were renting actually was being shared by a, a local theater, and I had theater moms screaming in my face in the lobby, telling me that you Christians are horrible because you're ruining the auditions for this theater play. Are you kidding me? Did not, was not prepared for that. I always had ideas. I thought when I became on the team, when I joined the team, that I thought I was God's gift to this church and that all the ideas that I had were gonna help 
River Valley become the greatest church in the world. And I remember I would text my dad and I'd say, Dad, we gotta change this. And if ever it was a good idea, he'd usually respond to the question. If it was a bad idea, he'd just send me a smiley face emoji. <laughs> I can tell you I got more emojis than I did responses. But we feel like we're ready. We feel like we're ready to go. I'm ready to lead the meeting. I just don't show up on time. I'm ready to bring the teaching. I just didn't study. I'm ready to have that conversation until it comes and it stares you right in the face and then you're sweating and you realize maybe the experience that I don't have is why I feel this way and maybe the experience they do, do have is why the anointing is on their life. And again, this isn't a criticism. It's a reality, things that I've had to walk through. We're always late, we don't get to work on time, we have a bad attitude, we're inconsistent, but I wanna be a leader. You know who's the leader? The people who do those things. My dad shares this, shared this with our staff and uh, he didn't make this up, but I couldn't find out who's attributed to, but you can throw it on the screen. 10 things that require zero talent. Being on time, having a work ethic, effort, good body language, having energy, a positive attitude, having passion for what you're doing, being coachable, doing extra and being prepared. You think about it, you go, well, what do you mean? Those are all the things that, that good leaders do. But if you notice, you don't need any talent for those things. You may need talent to sing on the worship team. You may need talent to be an athlete. You may even be talent, need talent to be a communicator. But you don't need talent to do those things. And if those are the things that great leaders do, then you know what that means, that everyone in this room is able to be that. Now, it might not mean looking like somebody else. It might not mean the gift that they have or the talent that they have, but if we're after being the best at what we can be, those are all things that don't require talent, but they do require determination. They do require persistence. They do require difficult conversations and times. The second thing that Paul says to Timothy is set an example in speech. You wanna know the best way to be an example as a young leader in your speech, be precise. So many people tell stories with details that don't matter. We've all heard that person. So I went to the grocery store the other day and, uh, well, it wasn't really the other day, it was a week ago, but um, it was, it was I, well, I mean, if you consider Target grocery, I know it does a lot of things. I mean, I know there's a lot of controversy around Target right now, but I was, it was the other day and, you know, <laughs> I was going to pick up a few things. Uh, well, it wasn't a few things. It was more than a few things, but you know, it was a lot of things. And, and you know, I saw my friend there and, and my mom called me on the way there, but oh my gosh, I ran out of gas. It was this crazy thing. And you know, but I was at Target and you know, why, I, what was I telling the story about again? Be precise in your speech. Why should I listen to you if you don't even know why you're talking? Why should I listen to you if, you if the words aren't even valuable to you who are speaking it? I've been practicing this recently. And again, this is, this is me talking in a mirror, just so you know. I, I've recently tried to work on removing likes and ums out of my vocabulary. Try it and you'll realize how frequently you use them. It's not a, a badge of honor to be super precise, but it's also not a badge of honor to be overly over the top. You know, Jesus said this, 
about prayer, right? He said, don't, don't pray these lofty and long prayers to impress others. Be precise in your prayers. And you know what you do in those long moments of prayer? Do it in the prayer closet. Do it by yourself. Do it so that only God hears. Some of us want to preach sermons that maybe, maybe we think are for others, but maybe they're only for you and God. Some of our devotions are so impactful, but maybe it's so impactful for you and your calling. For others, those moments may not come back for years at a time. And those will be moments that you look back on and go, I'm glad I didn't share it too soon because I wasn't quite ready. Be precise in your speech, Samuel, 1 Samuel 3, 9. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. That's, I mean, you can't, you, you have to just acknowledge that. <laughs> Let none of his words fall to the ground. I don't want my words to fall to the ground. I don't want my words to be blown in the wind. I wanna be precise in my speech, knowing that God's given me words. God has given every one of you words to say to the right people in the right time. So let's be precise in what God is saying, but Proverbs 17, 28, it's one of my favorite verses. Even a fool is thought to be wise if he keeps his mouth shut. You wanna know how to be the wisest person in the meeting? Don't say a word. Because oftentimes, at the end of the meeting, they're gonna look to you and say, what are your thoughts? What have you been thinking about? Almost always the person who talks the least is thought of the most. What are they thinking? Why aren't they saying anything? You know why? Because we all wanna say something. Whenever I'm in our lead team meetings, I kick myself every time. I said way too much. Why do I talk so much when there's so many other great leaders? As I interview people, I listen back to Talking Church, I listen back to these podcasts. I talked way too much. I wish I would've heard from them. Let's be precise. When a pastor asks you to receive the offering within three to five minutes and you go eight, it's not no big deal. Well, he has grace for me, she has grace. Egalitarian, right? Don't take advantage of the grace of somebody and assume that their grace is in approval of what you're doing, right? Oh, well, it's not a big deal. They go eight minutes, they go long. But that time is the time that they have given you to steward, and it's an opportunity. And again, this isn't a finger-pointing event. This is the reality, though, that when we, take, when we take these moments for granted and go long and go extra and add things that weren't, and oh, I know I announced, uh, I wasn't supposed to announce that our youth fundraiser was happening, but I slipped it in there because we're really trying to reach our goal. Being intentional and say, I'm gonna be precise. I'm gonna do what they've asked me to do. You maybe heard this before, but uncommunicated expectation is predetermined resentment. I'll say it again, undetermined expectation, or I'm sorry, uncommunicated expectation is predetermined resentment. What does that mean? That means when you don't share something with somebody, but that was an expectation of yours, and then you become bitter about it that they didn't do what you wanted them to do you become resentful. Maybe you want an opportunity, but maybe you've never shared it and you become resentful. Oh my goodness, pastor never lets me do this. Well, have you ever asked? Maybe the feedback is because you went too long last time. 
Maybe the feedback is, oh my goodness, I didn't even know that you were interested in that. I had no idea. How many times have you had a conversation with somebody that you learned something new about them that was so important to them, but you never knew? It's like when you meet somebody's sibling that was older or younger. I had, it's hard for me to reframe your mind that, that they have another sibling. It's crazy. No idea. Communicate your expectations clearly and precisely. And, you know, we want to set an example of this. And there's a number of different, I won't get into all of them. There's a number of different ways that you can do this practically that comes from the consulting world. But like STAR and SOAR, and there's one SBAR that our, uh, one of our pastors taught. You know, SBAR is state concisely what the situation is. Give background to the relevant facts. Give your potential options and consequences of the options, and then give your recommendation. If you've never seen that before, if you're going to your leader and you have a problem, oh my goodness, the Johnsons' uncle just got in a bad car accident and they have to leave last minute and the Johnsons and their four kids all serve in kids' ministry. And losing the six of them is basically our entire kids' ministry team. So we don't have anyone to, to be in the preschool room or the nursery room. You go up to your pastor, you say, the Johnsons got a car wreck, it's horrible, it's horrible. It's, oh my gosh, what do I do? What? No, got in the car wreck, we don't have enough volunteers. Our options are either have the kids go into the main service or we all be in one room. My recommendation is that we send the infants into the main service, we have the remainder of the kids in here and we'll split up in different parts of the room. Are you good with that? Yeah, I'm good with that, great. You can move forward. It's the same question, but you're bringing it to your leader with an opportunity for them to answer quickly because they have other things they're thinking about as well. So being precise in our speech. The third is to love. Love people and love God. The word here is agape. We, this, this session is not all about the, the five words for love in the original language, but it, this is a, a, the highest level. It's a sacrificial love. It's above and beyond. Love people. Be an example in the way you love others. How do you do this? You lift other people up. You encourage them. If you're a young leader or an inexperienced leader or someone who doesn't have the position and you wanna lead up, be a lifter of the room. There are too many pessimistic people out there. There are too many complainers on social media. When they show up in person, it's, oh my gosh, really another thing to complain about. Now that doesn't mean you can't ever bring feedback. But that does mean be a lifter, be exciting, smile more. That's the biggest critique my dad has of me. I don't smile enough. Tells me all the time. So I'm working on that. Trying to be, trying to bring more lift. That's an area I need to grow in. I need to bring more lift. Maybe you're someone who's naturally that way. Keep doing it. Maybe you don't want to encourage others because you think, ah, they're so encouraged. I've never been too encouraged. I can tell you that. There's people on our team who I want to walk next to them because I know they give compliments. You want to be around them. You wear a new pair of shoes and you go to that person who you know that loves shoes and you kind of walk up and you're like, sup? Why are you shaking your feet? No reason, no. Oh, yeah, got these the other day. You go around people who you know like things. If, if you know that they don't like fashion, you're not gonna, ah, I'm not gonna go around. But then you, maybe you know they love sports. You go around them, hey, did you see the game? You talk about it. You wanna be encouraged. You wanna have things that you like to talk about. So be a lifter. Don't, don't suck the life out of the room. Don't walk in and try to assert yourself in authority and say, oh man, that was horrible. We all know that was horrible, right? Yeah, we all do. We all do. There's, there's appropriate times to share the response, but be a lifter. 
Also, speak the truth, right? It's what we talked about in there, this, this tension of grace and truth. Being a lifter doesn't mean sharing fake things. It doesn't mean lying with the smile on your face. It means telling somebody what's true and lifting them up and encouraging them in that. It means when they're down, when they're on their worst day, it's reminding them of what God's put them in their life. It's reminding them of what you love about them. It's reminding them of the gifts they've had, reminding them of the good times. Being a lifter doesn't mean lying, but it does mean lifting. Lifting someone's arms like Moses, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna lift, we're gonna be there for you, we're gonna be by your side, we're gonna stand with you. We're gonna set that example in love. But with, with love is speaking the truth. And I think an important thing for somebody who maybe doesn't have a platform, which again, with social media, we all have platforms. And you, know, you can reply to somebody's tweet or you'd reply to somebody's, you can comment on somebody's post and you can get attention from it, right? Even if you don't have any followers, like your reply immediately becomes like, you, you tack onto their influence. But just because we can say it doesn't mean it's true. And just because somebody says it's not true doesn't mean it's not, right? So we have to distinguish that. But I think, I think it starts without a platform is it starts by not agreeing with things that you know not to be true. I'll give an example of that. How do you know that, you know, you'll hear something? Let's, uh, I'm just gonna use this, this example and, and it, hopefully you can understand, but let's just say that you're gossiping about somebody and, and it's your great friend. And you know, Jamer, Jamer is my great friend and I love Jamer, but you're talking to somebody who you didn't really know, you don't know if they know Jamer very much, but they go, yeah, did you hear Jamer do announcements the other day? Yeah, it was rough. You're like, yeah, yeah. But you, you love Jamer and you don't really, you don't really mean, yeah, yeah, like I agree with you. You mean more like, yeah, yeah, like stop talking. I don't re- I'm really uncomfortable right now, right? It's like, oh man, did you see what, you know, what this politician said? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Or for us and my family, it's like, did you hear what grandma said or posted on Facebook? It's like, yeah, 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 yep. Don't agree with things that you don't agree with. Don't allow people to do that. Now, it doesn't mean you come back and say, well, I think Jamer did amazing in announcements. Shut up. He's my friend. There's tact in which we communicate, being precise, right? But not just agreeing and saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because a lot of times that's what we do because we don't wanna, we don't wanna be too forceful, but we don't, we don't know our position yet. We've not really stood up to gossip before. We've not really you know, stood up to that before. So we just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I encourage you to not nod your head Maybe ask the question, hey, why do you think that? I felt like he did good. You're not combative, but you're, you're kind of making them defend their position. Oh, I thought he did bad at announcements. Oh, really, why? I, thought, I didn't think it was too bad. Why'd you think it was bad? Oh, well, they just kind of started over things. Well, I mean, we all do, and the slides were wrong. Oh, yeah, okay. Oftentimes when you ask somebody the follow-up question to something, when they have to defend it, they realize that they weren't so strong in their position in the first place. So asking questions can be a great way to deflect whenever gossip or things like that happen. Number four, he talks about be faithful. Be an example in faith, be an example in faithfulness, be loyal. This doesn't mean necessarily being faithful to others, although it certainly can include that. It means be faithful to Christ. Be faithful to him. Be faithful to the call and responsibility. Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Why? Because we represent him and that's what he did. 
You don't see Jesus say, hey, uh, I'm gonna make my way over to Lazarus's tomb, and then he doesn't. Jesus was good for his word. Now, it took them long, a, a longer time than they had hoped, but Jesus had a plan. Now, sometimes it's gonna take you longer than it hoped, and that's okay, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. And if, so, if plans change, you can, you can address it accordingly. Hey, I'm sorry. I, I, I got distracted, but, but I'm here. Is that, is that okay, or, or did I miss it? That's okay to acknowledge that. I missed it. I'm sorry. It's a powerful, powerful phrase. I'm sorry. I messed up. I'm new. I, I, I didn't expect it. You know, traffic can't be an excuse if you left late, right? Oh, sorry, I'm uh, traffic. Sorry, I was up late. Why? I, I saw you post, like, how many of you have ever done that? I saw you post. I saw you post about that. I literally almost emailed the professor. I'm doing master's right now, and I almost emailed my professor that I can't get my homework in on time. It's due tonight. But I, I know I posted an Instagram of me golfing on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I, I probably better not. When you think about your leaders, your leaders gave you a chance. Be faithful to them too. We're all motivated by something, right? Some people are motivated by the person that shared lies with them their whole life and all they wanna do is prove, somebody, prove them wrong. I wanna prove the person wrong who said I wasn't good enough. I wanna prove the person wrong who said that I'd never amount to anything. I wanna prove the person wrong. But others of us are motivated by the leader that we serve by how much opportunity they've given us, how much motivation that, that we've been given by, by the, the outpouring in their life, how they've discipled us, how they've cared for us. And I think that's maybe not quite as, as internally powerful, but I think maybe a better, better thing to strive after is to want to, want to please somebody who's, who's invested in you. Not because you're looking for their attention, but because They've given you so much, and what a better example of that than Christ. What a better example of that than God. He's given us so much. I wanna please him, just like you wanna please the person that's been a mentor to you. The only person you should try to disprove is the enemy. Because they're gonna get in your head. They're gonna share lies all the time. How many of you know I've shared this before, but the enemy can give you two lies at the same exact time that, that contradict each other, that you are equally equally uh, better than someone else. They get your, your arrogance, big head. Oh, you should be on that stage. You should be sharing at that conference. You should be teaching that breakout. But then in the same thought, the enemy's wear, just bearing down on you, saying, you're not good enough. Can you believe you even thought that? Can you believe you even think you'll amount to anything? You preach? You sing on a stage? You have influence? You'd never be that. Didn't you just tell me that I should be on stage? He lies. He contradicts you over and over again. We all hear that the grass is greener on the other side, but it's important to understand what you're comparing and what you're not. Man, I'd love to be a part of that church. I'd love to be on that youth team. I'd love to be an intern there. But then you say, oh, man, that, that staff member, they, they have it so good because they get to serve under that pastor. They get to serve under that leader or if only, have you ever said that? If only, if only our budget was bigger. If only I got the chance to do that. But you don't compare any of the negative things. It's like, oh, over here, you have a pastor 
that, that loves you and cares for you and knows you by name and has mentored you all your life. And over here, they have 700 people that they, they don't know. And again, it's not, it's not a, a disadvantage or a positive, but you can't compare the two, right? It's like comparing different countries. Elijah and I were talking about this earlier. In the, like, you can't compare countries, right? It's like, oh, well, let, let's compare the U.S. to Sweden. It's like, okay, how does that help anybody? Like, they're on the other side of the world. It's like a bunch of boring white people. Like, I'm, I'm part Swedish, I guess. I can, can I say that? Like, oh, I'm part Swedish. But I'm just saying, it's like, I'm, okay, cool. Why don't we talk about other places? Like, you, can't, you just can't compare. It's like, oh, well, what about her? Okay, what about her? She has more Instagram followers than you. Okay, fine. And she also has cancer. What about that church? Okay, well, he doesn't get paid and you do. So do you wanna go get not, not get paid and be there? Do that. Sometimes when we say the grass is always, always greener on the other side, and then you're put to the test to go there, and then you back down, right? It's like all the people. If that person gets reelected, I'm moving to Canada. Okay, why didn't you go? Because you said that you would. You're yes, be yes, you're no, be no. Man, if my pastor talks about this one more time, I'm leaving. Well, we're ready for you to go. Because you said you would. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be faithful, be loyal. Last point on this, and then I have one more point, and then I want to invite Elijah to, up here. Um, we're often critical of other people, yet we've never been in their circumstance, right? Walk a mile in their shoes. Man, I would never wear shoes that expensive until it's your turn to speak at that conference. You know what you do? You pull out the nicest shoes you got. Why? I don't know, because you said you would never do that. I would never post clips of me preaching on social media until you get the youth pastor job, and now you post clips. I'm not saying those things are wrong. I'm saying that it's easy to criticize it when you're not in the seat. And so when you're thinking about those things, and again, these, this is examples. There's so many things I could talk about. I'm not trying to sound like overly, overly harsh, but I'm trying to encourage, because these are things that I've walked through. Oh, I would never do that. Well, they have four services, and think of how many double counts they have. And we only have one, and they're, they're running 1,200 people, and we're running 700 in one service. So if you think of all the double counts, and like one of them's in Spanish, that's a Spanish service, how many are double counted there? Okay, and like for us, we don't have a Spanish service, so like, we, so like we're really bigger than that church. It's like we, we, we convince ourselves of those things. But then we get there and we go, what do you, wait, do, we, do I really care enough about that? Don't criticize people for seats you've not been in, or if you do, be very careful. Be very careful. The final thing in just this verse, again, there's so much we can talk about, but set an example in purity. Purity is a couple things. It's, it's fleeing from sin, like Herbert talked about. It's running from sin, but it's also desiring holiness. Living life free of sin it's avoiding the things that are gonna destroy you. It's avoiding disobedience. It's avoiding profanity. It's avoiding sexual promiscuity, pride, gluttony, envy, greed. Those, that's purity. We're trying to be pure. We're, we're temples of the Holy Spirit. That's what, that's what the Bible says. It says we're, we're temples. We should take care of ourselves. Do you see the rules in the Old Testament of how the temple should be built? It's very precise. 
Yet sometimes when we think about our own bodies, when we think about our own eyes, when we think about our own ears, we don't care enough. Oh, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal because God's told us it's a big deal. And Paul tells Timothy, set an example in purity. Now that does mean things differently for different people. I'm not here to put a mandate, a blanket over everyone and say, don't do this. You know, it's like, like as a youth pastor, you probably get that question. What's the line? What's the line in dating, right? It's like, oh, don't be horizontal ever. That seems good. Like, good to me. Like, you can kiss upright, but not horizontally. It's like, okay, okay. Or like, I'm trying to, you're, you're trying to be helpful, and I understand it. And I'm not saying you can't do that. But it's, there's, there's nothing that I can say to you that this is your example of moral purity. But the Holy Spirit sure can. And Paul talks about that, that to each one, the Holy Spirit's gonna convict you. He's gonna share things about himself that that are gonna be different than someone else. You might not be able to watch the show that someone else watches. You might not be able to listen to the music that other people listen to. You might not be able to follow the same people that they follow, and that's okay. But it's because the Spirit is leading you towards purity. The devil knows that the quickest and most destructive way to stop your ministry journey dead in its tracks is for you to ruin your purity. It goes far beyond sex, it goes far beyond lust. But it's, all of a sudden you, you lose this, this awe of God. You lose the closeness and the proximity and the, the moments. And, and if you wanna know the test of how you know you're going down the path of destruction, your test is often aligns with your spiritual disciplines. If those things start fading, then certainly the temperature is gonna start heating up for the things that the enemy's cooking, right? Well, I used to read my Bible this much. I used to study this much. I used to pray this much. It's a battle of mine all the time. I get busy, I'm traveling, I'm doing things, I'm at conferences, I'm sharing. I'm going to, I'm going to do all these things. I'm recording another podcast. I don't need to read, I don't need to read it, I'll, I'll talk about it. It's a challenge, but it's a reminder for us. And the last thing I'll say is, I say all these things because God has called you each uniquely. That God has such an amazing plan for each and every one of you. That for some of you, it's teachers. For others, it's, it's being a, a preacher. For others, it's being a, a person who's behind the scenes, an organizer, an activator. For others, it's working in the business world and being a giver and being a, a leader in your place and being a, a witness. Every one of us has a plan, but the devil's gonna do whatever he can to destroy these. So what Paul's saying to Timothy and what I'm saying to you today is set an example through the way that you live. Don't make excuses through your words, but, but make, really let your excuse and your consequence be the way that you live and the way that you change. I'm gonna be better, I'm gonna apologize. I'm gonna ask for forgiveness. I'm gonna realize that I don't have the experience and it's okay. I'm gonna laugh about myself just like we did with a bunch of different examples. It's okay to laugh about ourselves. I didn't know, I didn't know and I'm sorry. But it's those things that will help you continue to grow, the things that I'm constantly reflecting on, talking to Mac about how, how, can, we, how can we be better at this? How can we grow in this area? And so I just encourage you, read that over and over again. Be reminded that there are ways that we can be examples, but it's not through the things we say, it's the way that we live. And so I wanna pray over this and then I wanna invite Elijah and just ask questions about what are things that maybe you've struggled with as a young leader that we can help answer. So Lord, I pray right now that these words would would not feel in any way like a, a descent of somebody, but be an activation of who you've called them to be to be a reminder that they're worthy, that they're, they're made in your image, that they were created to do great things in this world. 
But knowing that we were created for that, I pray that we'd set an example through our conduct, that we'd be pure, that we'd be holy, that we'd be faithful, that we'd be precise, that we, we wouldn't demand anything, but we'd acknowledge that you've given us everything. There's nothing more that we could ask for. So God, I pray even for the rest of this conference, as we finish up this session here in a few minutes, and so we have one more final session tonight that we just continue to lean in and say, God, what are you speaking to me? Because more than my words today, your words are far more important. We pray that we'd hold them tightly. Praise all in Jesus' name. Amen.